0: Everybody ready? Mabs.
1: Mabs. Mm-hmm. Mabs. Mabes. 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 Mabes, babes. Mabes, Mabs, Mabes. Shmeh. Nah. Yeah. Shme- shme-
0: nah. okay. Welcome to Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. Paranormal podcast, where we talk about all things spooky, cryptids, aliens, Yep. Yeah. motherfucking aliens, motherfucking witchcraft, yeah. murder most foul death. Do you want to
1: push that chair away from you a little bit? It's right up in your biz.
2: Uh, I mean... It could also be a, a footresty rest. from a feet sure. so I'm not mad that the chair is here. Okay, right. Yeah, thank you though. You're
1: welcome.
2: I like your little
0: footrest. <sighs> Me too.
1: I got to yeah. get rid of it.
0: <laughs> I mean, it just lives in the middle of the room. If but anybody in today just
1: needs an office chair, fucking let me know. I have one. You can have it. I need it's it out of my house. All yours. I am too lazy to drive to Goodwill. It is down the street.
0: <laughs> it is all yours. Actually, I might know somebody that oh yeah, might that's want right. It, actually, take so. it from
1: me and give it to them. I will. Well,
0: how is you How how? Oh, you need hi hi hi. hi. Do we have any backhoes? Uh, yeah. Uh, First off, shout out
2: to new patrons, Sam and Jesse. Hey guys, people, (sighs) friends, sent your stuff already, so it should be there any day now, if it's not already. Any day now. Uh, And then I was just, I forgot that I had found this, and I meant to backhoe it a while ago. Uh, But, as per totallyawesomehistory.com, Ralph of Cogsall described the green children of Woolpit as leek green, which is pretty fucking green. That's really green. Like, I don't know how I missed that, researching the first time. Leek green. But then I found it, and was going to backhoe it, and then I forgot until this week. But yeah, that is real fucking green. That's pretty fucking green, dude. So whatever was their situation, they were... Green. They were real green. (laughs) Like... (laughs) What's on your shirt? Uh the Eagles. Oh the Eagles. Okay. Yeah, I found it at the Goodwill. Gimme like, Gimme that. that. That's a good one. I like the Eagles. I love the Eagles, dude. I was listening to them on the way here, actually. Ah,
0: Fair. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. it's not one million degrees outside. It is it not. Is, it is warmer than last week, so I'm yeah. real happy about that. Well, if I guess if we don't have any more backhoes. Um I don't think so. Think I'm just gonna jump into this shit. Mine's long. Yeah. So Let's do it. Might as well just... Who goes first, though? You do. Well. You do. Well, then, good. Well, shit.
1: Yeah. The fuck you got.
0: So, uh, an urban legend, okay. by definition, is a story or piece of information that circulated as though true. And most urban legends come from something true, no matter how altered or embellished. There's always a sliver of something that happened. Which brings me to The Hookman. And I'm sure you've all heard a version of that story where teens go to a lover's lane or an abandoned area to make out and then they hear scratching and they get scared and drive away only to find a bloody hook is on one of the car doors. I know what you did last summer was based on. Right, yeah. so
2: one of many, many. Ur- yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: urban legends. Right. Like the movie.
1: Urban well, urban
2: legends.
0: this story is inspired loosely I'm talking about the story of the hook man, mm-hmm. and, uh, very loosely, on an actual case from 1946. So, I was going to wait until after the Patreon
1: mm. came
0: out to do this one, but now I am not. Well, the Patreon came out today. Well then, good. I have good timing. So there you uh, go. So today I have for y'all the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Yeah.
1: By the way, I've been freaking out for the past two days that I never put the Patreon up. And that you just forgot to tell me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, let me check now. I'm pretty sure that I put it up. Yeah, it's there. Okay. Oh,
1: great. Yeah,
2: this morning at
0: 3.01 a.m. Okay, good. And it's a long end, kids. <laughs> so, buckle up. Uh, in 1946, the town of Texarkana, which straddles the state line between Texas and Arkansas, hence the name, mm-hmm was rocked by a series of brutal attacks over a four-month period that left five people dead and three injured. What the media quickly dubbed the Texarkana Moonlight Murders were carried out by a killer the local papers called the Phantom Killer, and the small town went into a legit panic. It all started on February 22, 1946, when a date that was going pretty well ended real fucking badly. 25-year-old Jimmy Hollis and 19-year-old Mary Jean Larry had gone to see a movie and then went to go parking at the local Lover's Lane, but at around 11.55 p.m., their evening was interrupted by a man wearing a white sack over his head with the eye and mouth holes cut out. And if that sounds in any way fucking familiar, it should. And hence, go listen to our Patreon. Anywho, the man appeared at the driver's side window, and he shone a flashlight in, and Jimmy, thinking it was either a prank or a case of mistaken identity, told the dude he had the wrong person. To which the man responded, I don't want to kill you, fella, so do what I say. Mm -mm. Both Hollis and Larry were ordered out of the driver's side door, and the man ordered Hollis to take off his goddamn britches. He complied, and then the man hit him twice in the head with a pistol. Larry later told investigators that the noise was so loud she had initially thought Hollis had been shot when it was actually his skull fracturing. Mm -hmm. So, thinking that the man wanted to rob them, Larry showed him Hollis's wallet to prove that he had no money, after which she was then hit with a blunt object. She's not sure. It was probably the gun. Mm. The man then ordered her to stand up, and when she did... He told her to run. Ooh, boy. So, initially, she tried to run towards a ditch, but then the man yelled at her to run in a different direction. So, she ran up the road. Mary Jean spotted an old car that was parked off the road and ran toward it, thinking, hoping that it was somebody, but it was empty. And then her attacker caught up to her, who asked her why she was running. Well, she responded, said that he told her to run, He then called her a liar, knocked her down to the ground, and sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. Then he just fucking left. That was it. After the assault, Mary Jean ran a half mile and found a nearby house to get help. She had attempted to flag down a car that passed by, but they didn't stop. Mary Jean was able to find a house, and they called the police. Meanwhile, Jimmy had regained consciousness, and he flagged down a car for help. The driver didn't pick him up, but did drive to a nearby funeral home and called the police. Within 30 minutes, Bowie County Sheriff W.H. Bill Presley and three other officers arrived at the scene of the attack. There was no sign of the assailant, but they found Hollis's pants 100 yards away from where his car was parked. Mary Jean was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound, but Jimmy was hospitalized for several days to recover from multiple skull fractures. The couple, however, gave conflicting reports to law enforcement as to what their attacker looked like. Now, mind you, he was wearing that bag on his head. Mary Jean thought that... Where am I? words? I lost my place. Where is it, Mary Jean? <laughs> there we go. Uh, said that she could see under the mask and that it was an African-American man. Jimmy said that the man was absolutely white around 30 years old, but he couldn't see his features because bag and flashlight. Both Larry and Hollis agreed that the assailant was around six feet tall. Law enforcement repeatedly challenged Mary Jean's account and believed that she and Hollis both knew the identity of their attacker and were for some reason covering for him. Now, and I think that was mainly because shit like that didn't happen there. Mm-hmm. So y'all had to piss somebody off or you have to know who did this to you or you have an enemy and they just didn't. So Mary Jean Larry and Jimmy Hollis were very lucky in that they survived the attack, but the next victims would not be. The second attack came about a month after Hollis and Larry were assaulted. Again, the victims were a couple of sweethearts out for a night on a local lover's lane. But this time, the phantom killer didn't leave anyone alive. Richard L. Griffin, 29, and his girlfriend of six weeks, Polly Ann Moore, age 17. Just let that sink in for a second. How old was he one more time?
2: 29. Nope, that's, that is too old. That's what I said. It's, I mean, sure. It's was it 1946? Was it 1946? Yeah, but is that okay? It's still real bad. It's, it's yeah. It, that, no. Yeah. She was,
0: She was how old again? 16? 17. Se- Polly Ann Moore. She was 17? 12 17.
1: year. 12 year difference. 29 and
0: 17. 1946, it's it's, meh. Anyway. I don't like it. Well, they were found dead in Griffin's 1941 Oldsmobile sedan on Sunday, March 24th, 1946. They were found between 8.30 and 9 a.m. by a passing motorist. The witness at first thought that the couple were both just sleeping. but (laughs) Richard was found between the front seats on his knees with his head resting on his crossed hands and his pockets were turned inside out.
2: Oh, well, that's weird.
0: Polly Ann was found sprawled out face down in the back seat. There is evidence to suggest that she was killed on a blanket outside and then placed there. Sounds like both of them were. Uh, Griffin had been shot twice while still in the car. And both had been shot once in the back of the head. Both were fully clothed. And the blood-soaked patch oh. of dirt near the car suggests that she had been killed outside. Yeah, Congealed blood was found covering the running board of the car, and it flowed through the bottom of the car door. Yep. A 32-cartridge shell was also found outside the car. There are no reports that indicate that either Griffin or Moore were examined at all by a pathologist. And local rumors had it that a sexual assault had also occurred, like with Mary Jean, Larry, but modern reports ref- refute the claim. So... In response to the murders, police launched a citywide investigation along with the Texas and Arkansas City Police, the Department of Public Safety, Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Departments, and the FBI. Like, they were not fucking around. So, by March 27th, local police had interviewed 50 to 60 witnesses, including patrons and employees of Club Dallas, which was a bar near the crime scene. By March 30th, the police had posted a $500 reward in an effort to gain any new information on the Griffin and Moore case that would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. However, the re- the reward got them nothing but 100 false leads. <laughs> oh, yay. Yeah. So, the town of Texarkana was not okay. This was not a place where shit like this happened, and the town went into a full-fledged hysteria. The local towns all instituted a curfew and many citizens who used to not lock their door were buying supplies to secure their doors, windows, and the local stores totally sold out of guns and ammo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so the phantom killer would strike again on April 4th, 14th, sorry, 1946. 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker was playing her alto sax like a fucking badass <laughs> in her regular weekly gig with her band, The Rhythm Airs, at the amazing. VFW Club. At around 1.30 a.m., this is a 15-year-old, mind you, at 1.30 a.m., which was now Sunday morning, um, April 14th, Betty Jo's friend, 17-year-old Paul Martin, picked her up from the club, and that was the last time that they were seen alive. Paul's body was found at around 6.30 a.m. that morning by Mr. and Mrs. G.H. Weaver and their son. Son? And their son? Mm. Yes. Uh, Paul was found lying on his left side by the northern edge on North Park Road. Blood was found further down on the other side of the road by the fence. He had been shot four times, once through the nose... And through the left fourth rib from behind, in his right hand, and then through the back of the neck. Um, It sounds like he ran and then was running while being shot and then fell. A search party was put together to find Miss Betty Jo, and her body was indeed found around 11.30 a.m., almost two miles from where Paul's body was found. And she was found behind a tree by members of the Boyd family, along with her friend, Ted Shoppy, who had joined the search party. Her body was lying... She was lying on her back, fully clothed, with her right hand in the pocket of her button jacket, and she had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. Um, Betty Jo Booker, uh, there's a photo of her. She is 15, and she looks like she is 45. Oh, Like, not in a bad way. It's just... Teenagers in like the 40s and 50s, for whatever reason? They looked like twice their age. Twice at least. At least. It's wild. Um, so the weapon used was the same as in the first double murder, a 32 pistol, automatic Colt pistol. Paul's 1946 Ford Club coupe was found three miles from where Betty Joe's body had been found. And 1.55 miles away from his body. And it was parked outside Spring Lake Park with the keys still in it. So it sounds like that's where they had gone to make out. Mm-hmm. They were both clearly pulled from the car. And then I don't know if it was like with the first one where he made them run or what have you. Um, the authorities weren't sure who was shot first. Not that it really mattered. Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger... Captain Manuel Lone Wolf Gonzalez said that examinations of the bodies indicated that they had both put up a hell of a fight. Law enforcement was unable to locate Booker's saxophone at the crime scene, but it was eventually discovered six months later, on October 24th, still in its case, in Underbrush, near where her body had been found. And the saxophone will come up again later. Um. It was now time to up the ante, and a new reward of $1,700, which is $24,330 in today's money, was offered for information leading to the person or persons responsible. Rumors naturally started to go around. This is a small town, and um, one rumor suggested that a local minister had turned in his own son as a suspect, And on April 18th, Captain Gonzalez issued a statement to the public during a press conference verifying that the murderer had not been caught and that the rumors circulating among the public were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent people. The final crime would take place on May 3rd, 1946. But now this one is debatable on whether it was actually tied to the Phantom Killer. Mm -hmm. Um, Because much like the cases in our Patreon episode, the M.O.s MOs vary. So, and this one is completely different than the first two. So, 37-year-old farmer Virgil Starks was just chilling in his ranch house on his 500-acre farm off of Highway 67, which is 10 miles northeast of Texarkana. And he had just sat down to turn on his favorite weekly radio show and his wife, Katie, 36-year-old Katie, Starks gave him a heating pad for his sore back, bless her heart. Virgil sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which was just off the kitchen, and Katie was in her bedroom lying on the bed in her nightgown when she heard something from the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. A few seconds later, while Virgil was reading the May 3rd edition of the Tex Arcana Gazette, two shots were fired into the back of his head from a closed window three feet away. Now, Katie didn't hear the gunshots. Instead, she heard the breaking glass, and she thought Virgil had dropped something and went out to see what had happened. And when she walked through the doorway to the living room, she saw Virgil stand the fuck up after being shot twice in the head and then suddenly just collapsed back into his chair. She saw blood, then ran to him, lifted his head, and she realized he was, he was dead. He was gone. Hmm. She ran to the phone to call the police, and it was a wall crank phone, so she had to crank it two times, and then Katie was shot twice in the face from that same window. One bullet entered her right cheek and exited behind her left ear, and the other went in just below Mm -hmm. her lip, breaking her jaw and shattering several of her teeth before lodging under her tongue. The bullet. Oh, no. No, no, no. This gets better. Katie's a fucking badass. So she dropped to her knees, gets the fuck back up, runs to the bedroom. She's got two bullets in her face. One is lodged under her tongue. Her jaw is shattered. Her teeth are shattered. Okay, so she runs to get a pistol from the living room, but... Then she couldn't see because she was blinded by her own fucking blood. She heard the killer trying to get into the house, tearing through the screen on the back porch, and she was like, this is it. I'm going to fucking die. So she stumbles towards her bedroom, which is near the front of the house, to leave a note that they were murdered. Oh. Meanwhile, the killer runs to the back of the house, makes his way up the steps, Katie heard the killer coming through the kitchen window. He's torn through the screened-in porch. He's coming through the fucking window. No. She turned around. She's still bleeding. Runs through the dining room, through the bedroom, down a hallway, through another bedroom, and then into the living room and out the front door, leaving what would later be called a virtual river of blood.
2: Oh. And teeth.
0: Uh. Oh, she's running, and her jaw and her teeth are shattered, and she's leaving a fucking trail. Ooh, but boy. oh no, it doesn't stop here.
2: Of course it doesn't. She runs across. I've I've listened. Five, I've listened to our show. I know that's where oh, it no. doesn't stop at oh, all. No, mm. they're on a
0: fucking five hundred acre farm. Katie, two bullets in her face, barefoot, still in her blood soaked nightgown, runs across the street to where her sister and brother in law live, but. No one's home. Uh, Of course. So she runs 50 yards past to A.V. Prater's house. And Prater answered her call for help. She (laughs) runs in, gasps, Virgil's dead, and then collapsed. Katie is a fucking savage and I love her. Yeah. Prater, and this is why I love country folk, shot a rifle into the air to call another neighbor, Mr. Elmer Taylor, who Prater sent to collect his car, because Mr. Taylor's got a car, and they've got to get Katie to the hospital. So Prater and Taylor and family get Katie into the car to take her to the hospital. Then Katie Starks gives Elmer Taylor one of her teeth, the one with a gold filling, to say thank you before literally fucking passing out. Oh, boy. Katie's a fucking savage. Dude, so although she lost a considerable amount of blood, she showed absolutely no signs of going into shock, and her heart rate remained normal. What? It was normal when she got to the hospital. She was questioned in the operating room. By Miller County Sheriff, W.E. Davis, who then became head of the investigation. And the news was printed on the front page the next morning, reading, Murder Rock City Again, Farmer Slain, Wife Wounded. Katie's a savage, dude. Like, I just don't even know what to say about all that. Like, a trail of blood and teeth. It is intense. And she paid Elmer with a gold filling for taking her to the hospital. That's incredible. Right. So... Immediately after reports of the attack on the Starks, blockades were set up several miles northeast and southwest on Highway 67 East. Sheriff Davis called in officers from the entire area to help in the investigation, including the two FBI agents. There was Captain Gonzalez and other Texas Rangers, Sheriff Presley and his deputies, Sheriff Jim Sanderson from Little River County, Arkansas State Police, local police And as many fucking police from all the outlying areas. So, in the house, the investigators found the trail of blood and teeth. And Captain Gonzalez, after seeing this, stated, It's beyond me why she did not bleed to death. Yeah. There were only two bullet holes in the window, leading Sheriff Davis to believe that an automatic rifle was used. Investigators said after the killer shot Virgil he waited patiently outside the window to shoot Katie. Three clues were found at the scene. The first was the caliber of bullets. The second, a flashlight, which was found in the hedge underneath the window that Virgil was shot from. And the last were bloody prints around the house, shoe prints on the kitchen floor, and smudged fingerprints in other places. Sheriff Davis stated that although this murder could not necessarily be directly linked to the phantom killer because it was a 22 he said it is possible that the killer is one and the same man now early on Saturday morning bloodhounds were brought in and by the Arkansas State Police and they found two trails that led to the highway before the scent was lost by Sunday night more officers were called in and they had detained at least 12 suspects but only kept 3 for further questioning 47 officers were working to solve the murders and they just i mean they had called in every department available they just they were not fucking around anymore they were like this is this is fucking batshit crazy now the unofficial theory for motive was sex mania Robbery was ruled out because there was no money taken from the Starks' home or any of the victim's wallets or purses, huh. which is interesting because the one victim had his pockets turned inside out, Yeah, but nothing was taken. Which is weird. Yeah. I mean, there was cash in the Starks' home. There was jewelry. Nothing. Um, so, the title of the front page of the Texarkana, Texarkana Gazette... On Sunday, May 5th, read, Sex Maniac Hunted in Murders. Now, the flashlight found at the Stark home was sent to the FBI for analysis. And on May 9th, 1946, the results came back with zero fucking fingerprints. By this point, the people of Texarkana were legit losing their shit. Curfews, businesses, restaurants, theaters, nightclubs lost so many customers. There was a 20% drop in sales. Liquor stores actually stopped selling alcohol. Hm. Because they didn't want to, like, end up... Encouraging yes. someone
2: that... Yep, yeah.
0: yep, yep, yep. A little one nip uh-huh. too many. Yep, and uh, by dusk, the city became a virtual ghost town. Captain Gonzalez helped, unfortunately, fuel the hysteria when he announced that citizens should oil up their guns and see if they're loaded. <sighs> put them out of the reach of children... Do not use them unless it's necessary, but if you believe it is, do not hesitate. Yikes. When asked by the Texarkana Gazette what advice he could give to the townspeople, he said, I'd tell them to check the locks and bolts on their doors and get a double-barrel shotgun to take care of any intruder who tried to get in. Mm. Well, this also led to the police getting way more calls than they could handle.
2: Yeah, that's going to uh, not end well. Right. The station's a million reasons. Yeah.
0: They were swamped with calls about prowlers, but most of them were like cats or raccoons in a garbage can or <laughs> a cow. There was actually a phone call from a cat. They saw this face. A phone in their call window. from a
2: cow. Yes, please. That is yes.
0: incredible. Yes, there
2: was that a phone cow. Call. That cow was <laughs> fucking terrified. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, I saw a man with a gun in my pasture? I need somebody out here now. Like, "Uh, excuse me, is this a cow that I'm speaking to? Yes. Okay, well, I'm on my way, and we're fucking going on the road. Bessie. Yeah, Get some fucking
0: money. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know someone called because they saw a
0: face peering in their window. It turns out some cows got out. That's amazing.
2: This is a new... Buddy comedy that I'm going to write for Netflix. There you go. Fair. Just talking. It's going to be one of those adorable Scottish Highland cows with all the hair. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, yes. I'm workshopping it in my brain already. So, now, although most of the town was living in fear of the Phantom, some teenagers were not... Because they're youths, and they don't get it. They're teenagers. And they continued parking on deserted roads, hoping to catch the killer themselves.
2: Well, teen, teenagers, youths, you you, you beautiful dummies. Yep. That's just the dumbest thing. One night,
0: yeah, one night, Chief Deputy Tillman Johnson was patrolling a vacant road, as they all did. When he and Arkansas State Trooper Charlie Boyd found a parked car, noticed someone was in it, Johnson approached the car, saw a couple, and he introduced himself and said, aren't you scared to be parked out here at night? To which this teen girl says, you're the one that ought to be scared, mister. It's a good thing you told me who you are. And she held up the pistol that she had been pointing at him the entire fucking time through the car door. Right. Right. So... I mean, on the one hand... Fuck yeah. Texas, but-
2: Arkansas. I think everybody had a gun. Oh, yeah. Babies. Right. They just hand them out to instead of rattles. Nah, you're getting a gun, yep. son. Yep, yep, yep. Just your rattle is a box of ammo.
0: Yep. And, uh, but then Ranger Gonzalez flat out tried baiting the Phantom by recruiting teenagers. Most were children of other Texas Rangers to sit as decoys in parked cars. But the Phantom never took the bait. Mm. In fact, he never killed again after the Starks. Oh, So, Captain Gonzalez stated that he and his officers were dealing with a shrewd criminal who had left no stone unturned to conceal his identity and activities.
1: You've been hit by, you've been struck by, a shrewd criminal.
0: (laughs) A shrewd criminal. And the murderer's efforts were both clever and baffling. He also stated that the man that they were hunting was a cunning individual who would go to all lengths to avoid apprehension. Victim and survivor Jimmy Hollis, for a second, I one, thought you were going to say Jimmy Hoffa. And I'm like, nope. I
2: have missed part nope. of the story.
0: Then.
2: <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, Jimmy Hollis uh, said, I was listening and missed that
0: entirely. Entirely. Jimmy Hollis said, I know he's crazy. The crazy things he said made me feel his mind was warped. And so the Texarkana Gazette contacted Dr. Anthony LaPala, a psychologist at the Federal Correctional Institution in Texarkana, for his opinion. In his interview, he said that he believed the killer was planning to continue to make unexpected attacks, such as that of Virgil Starks, on the outskirts of town. He also believed that the same person committed all five murders and that the killer was somewhere between his mid-30s and fifty. Motivated by a strong sex drive and sadism, LaPella stated that a person who could commit such crimes was intelligent, clever, shrewd, and often not apprehended. And according to LaPella's theories, the killer knew at all times what was being done in the investigation, and he knew that the vacant roads were being patrolled, which is why he chose the Starks' home. He said that in many cases similar to this, the killer is never apprehended, and in some instances, he will divert attention to other further away communities where it is believed that the crimes are committed by someone else. Mm-hmm. So he can continue to yeah. do it. Um, and Or else he will overcome the desire to kill and assault people. So LaPella said that the murderer is... Probably not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that he could be leading a totally normal life, appearing to be a good citizen. He also said that the killer is probably not a veteran because if he had served in the armed forces for even a year, his maniacal tendencies would have been apparent. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I know it was the 40s, but right? Man, that was off base. Right. He stated that the murderer was not necessarily a resident of the area, despite his knowledge of it. All the attacks show evidence of deep planning. And LaPella further stated that the strengthening of the police force would not scare the killer away, but that he would willingly leave due due to the difficulty of committing another crime. He said this man is extremely dangerous. He works alone, and no one knows what he's doing because he tells no one. He Adding that the killer may have reasoned that the only way to remain unidentified is to kill all persons at the scene. And he also believed that the killer was 100% a white male.
2: Yeah, makes sense. Also, that makes me like, okay, well, if he never told anybody what he was doing, then I don't see Zodiac and this guy being the same person. Because Zodiac really fucking loved telling everybody what he was doing, Mm -hmm. even if he never did it. He was like, I'm gonna do this thing. Just kidding, but yep. I thought about it, and I still might. You don't know. That's yeah. the fun no, part. This
0: person never, yeah. commented. But I still, I still think that he, meaning Zodiac, knew about this case. Probably. Okay. a lot. There's so many similarities. Mm-hmm. It's just a little. Yeah. Maybe Zodiac was from the area, or they had relatives in yeah. the area. Maybe this and person. This was, was a big story. Relative? I mean, FBI well, was yeah. involved. It was a big fucking deal. So, throughout the investigations of the Phantom Killer case, almost 400 suspects were arrested. That's a lot. In the Griffin and Moore case, over 200 people were questioned, and about the same number of false tips and leads were checked. Three suspects were taken into custody for bloody clothing, two of whom were released after officers received satisfying explanations. The remaining suspect was held in Vernon, Texas for further investigation, but was later cleared. In the Martin and Booker case, a taxi driver became a major suspect because his cab was seen in the vicinity of the crime scene that morning, but he was also very, very, yes, he was cleared. He Um, was very, very cleared, very cleared. Yes. Like (laughs) extra cleared. (laughs) It's a lot of words today. Friends, acquaintances, and several suspects were questioned in three rooms of the Bowie County building by officers who worked in 24-hour relays. Because there were so many suspects. 24-hour relays of questioning. That's a lot. Suspects were brought in from within a 100-mile radius. Both male, female, black, white. A promising lead came in on Saturday, April 27th. Now, mind you, this was before the saxophone was found. And a man was arrested in Corpus Christi, Texas, for trying to sell a saxophone to a music store. So, the previous Thursday... uh, before April 27th. um, A 30-year-old-ish looking man walked into a music store without an instrument and asked the salesperson if the store wanted to buy a Bundy Alto sax. The girl, which is very specific. Very. I used to have one of those. Yeah. Oh, did you? Uh
1: Yeah. Uh, Bundy is one of the largest manufacturers of saxophones.
0: Okay. It's kind of
1: like, it's like getting a squire.
0: Right well the girl told him that she would need to ask the manager and the man got real antsy and said what do you have to talk to him about Ford? you work here don't you and the girl later said that the man seemed very nervous well the manager did come in the man bolted the store contacted the police they thought it was super sketch the man was arrested two days later at a waterfront hotel after buying a 45 caliber revolver from a pawn shop and on Tuesday, April 30th, the sales girl identified him as the same man who had tried to sell the saxophone. Now, no saxophone was ever found in his possession, but the police found a bag of bloody clothing in his hotel room. Not like that. The man claimed that the blood was from a cut that he had received uh, on his head during a bar fight. And after several days of grilling... Captain Gonzalez stated, Everything the man tells us is being checked and double-checked, and everything he has told us thus far has been found to be true. He has answered all of our questions without hesitancy, and we are making every effort to find out if he is telling the truth or covering up information. We are convinced that thus far the man has told the truth, and if all of his stories are found to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can no longer hold him as a suspect. Gonzalez also said, Our duty is not only to apprehend violators of the law, but also to protect innocent persons. When we make an arrest in this case and charges are filed, there must be no mistake. We must get the right man or no man at all. On Friday, May 3rd, the Gazette reported Gonzalez's, it's hard to say, Mm -hmm. Gonzalez's announcement that the man has been completely eliminated and uh, he couldn't have anything to do with the murder cases. So, following the attack on the Starks, the killer literally faded into the shadows and never killed again. At least there. Eventually, life in Texarkana went back to a semblance of normality, And, as in the case with all high-profile murder cases, there were many, many a false confession. One of which was University of Arkansas freshman 18-year-old H.B. Duty Tennyson. <laughs> duty, so, duty. So why is it the kids in the 40s had such silly nicknames? I don't know. Duty. You know what's really great though? HB Duty Tennyson.
2: My brother and sister-in-law call my nephew Duty. Oh,
0: he's I so cute.
2: I don't know why, but I feel like it started out as Dude, and then it just went got to Duty. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking hilarious. Him and his little face.
0: Well. Oh, Toilet
2: Boy is another nickname.
0: Uh, that's an interesting one.
2: He's like a year and a half and he just loves to put stuff in the toilet. Uh, yeah. He's a toddler.
1: Like, yeah. No. Like duty.
2: <laughs> 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 that would be there. great if he would do a duty in the potty, but no, not yet. That would yet. be great if. But yeah, like yeah. Uh, uh, toys, I'm assuming just his hands. He just likes to splash in there. Fuck, keep it clean. He loves water, but Toilet Boy, get out of there.
0: Get the fuck out of there. Get out of the toilet. So, Duty committed suicide in November of 1948. And oh. he left behind a suicide note in which he confessed to the murders. But he... There were several letters. And I read through them. And they very clearly sounded like he was mentally ill. Yeah. So, Because also,
2: how old was he? 18. And so, when the murders took place, he would have been what? Sixteen? Yeah. Not impossible, but not uh, probable. Yeah, no. And
0: just, it was, I was like, nah, no. Not probable. So, um, of all the suspects, however, there was one that stood out to law enforcement, and that was Yule Swinney. He came to the police's attention after an Arkansas trooper who was looking at car theft reports in the area realized that on the night of each attack, a car had been reported stolen and a previously stolen car had been found. So weeks after this revelation, a farmer complained that his tenant hadn't been paying rent and he gave the officer the tenant's name and license plate number the tenant was 29-year-old Yule Swinney, and a run of his plates showed that the car he was driving had been stolen on the weekend of the Griffin Moore murders. When police arrested Yule Lee Swinney, he asked them a rather stwa- strange... Strange? we? Oh, you got a strange question? Uh, he has a very strange question. Um, for someone that was just accused of car theft, he said, will they give me the chair? Oh. Well, the police... Thought this was really odd as well. That is odd. Well, Yule's 21-year-old wife Peggy had been arrested a few weeks earlier.
1: Fucking Peggy.
0: In a different area, also for car theft, and she told the authorities some pretty incriminating stories about her hubby. yo, Peggy said that he was the Phantom Killer and described the murder of Betty Joe Booker and Paul Martin in great detail. The police were also able to independently verify some details of Peggy's confession, such as locating a victim's possessions in a location she said Yule had dumped it. They found it. And there was a shirt with a laundry mark that was potentially linked to Virgil Stark's. It was found in Swinney's possession, but they weren't really certain on that one. They couldn't solidify that. Peggy's confession was the most critical part of the case. Following her confession, however, Peggy made conflicting statements and... (coughs) No. You got it. Choking on words. Changed her story. With no physical evidence against him and with Peggy claiming her lawful right to refuse to testify against her husband, Swinney was never prosecuted for the murders. Oh. In 1947, however... He was sentenced to life imprisonment for repeated auto theft. Huh. Do you, you don't get life for auto theft, do you?
1: No. That's not. Usually, no, you don't.
0: That's, right. That doesn't sound accurate, right? Well, he was released in 1978. Now, whether or not Yule Swinney was Texarkana's phantom killer is debatable, but there was never another attack following his arrest. Hmm. So there's that. Yule Swinney died in 1994, and no hard evidence has ever been found to, without a doubt, prove whether or not he was the killer. Uh, according to Texas Monthly, however, local journalist James Presley's book, The Phantom Killer, it's a really long title. The Phantom Killer, Unlocking the Mystery of the Texarkana Serial Murders, the Story of a Town in Terror.
2: Hmm. Okay, Why? So many people. Why? Just make succinct. The Phantom Killer. That's, I would buy that. Right? I'm like, oh, interesting. Right. Tell me more. But that title, it's like, it's not a title. It's pretty much just a summary of the entire. Right. I don't need that. So those are different things. In his
0: book he presented a pretty compelling case for Swinney's guilt. He said, "I dare say every lawman who worked this case never quit mulling the story over and over in hopes of turning up the hard evidence that could have convicted Swinney of the murders." Now, he also said in his book that several investigation Inve- mm. what? Mm. a what now? S- several investigators. Oh, okay. In the Swinney case, later said that the habitual offender sentence was indeed and in fact a plea bargain. Even though the case files did not necessarily say so, Swinney was concerned about being sentenced to death for the murders. So the theory is that he agreed not to contest the habitual offender charge. And in fact, pled guilty, even though habitual offender cases required a jury trial. That could have been why he actually got life. Hmm. hmm. But I don't know. Necess- this is Texas. What, why would they give him that kind of plea deal? Yeah. And when, and when, was, when did he get that sentence? In 1947. Okay. It was right after. Huh. For habitual car theft. You don't get life.
2: Unless you did in 1947, unless you did in 1947,
0: right? Texas, it's possible. But the theory here is that he was actually a plea deal. But I would think in a case in a case such as big as this, they would have screamed from the highest mountain that they got their man. Oh yeah. So why, like, why offer this dude a fucking plea deal like that? Anyway, um, Ewell's fingerprints, however, did not match any of the latent prints Mm -hmm. that were found at the Booker Martin crime scene. So, who knows? This case was a white whale for many of the officers involved, especially Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Lone Wolf Gonzalez. In 1946, while hunting the Phantom, he swore to stay in Texarkana until the killer was apprehended, but after the last murder, he left three months after. Yeah. Um, Gonzalez believed the attack on Hollis and Larry was not committed by the Phantom. He also believed that someone else murdered Virgil Starks. So hmm. he's kind of thinking that there's three, it's three yeah, totally separate three different things. people. Gonzalez retired from the Rangers in 1951 and moved to Hollywood to become a technical consultant for radio, television and movies. Most notably the long running 1950s radio show tales of the Texas Rangers and Lewis Swampy Graves, oh come on, <laughs> come on,
2: Swampy Graves. Yeah, that's my new name. Yeah, changing it tomorrow. Swampy and Duty,
1: um, Duty Swamps.
2: Yep, Duty Swamps. Duty up. Swamps or Swampy
1: Dudes, which is not as no, good. Right? Du- no, Duty
2: Duty Swamps. I like that. Yep. That sounds like a British rapper, right? I don't know. That's
1: not good.
2: I didn't say it was good. I just said (laughs) that's what it sounded like. It's just like Duty Swamps. There's Duty Swamps. Like there's the group Rizzle kicks. Duty Swamps opening for them 2022. Uh Yeah, yeah. Rizzle kicks is actually a real thing, Uh, but Duty Swamps is hilarious, and I want that to be a rap group.
0: Duty Swamps. Yeah. Well, Louis Swampy Graves, a Texarkana Gazette reporter in 1946 described Gonzalez as a handsome man with a lot of personalities. He was well built and wore a whipcord suit and a battle jacket with bright buttons. A battle jacket? He was very clean looking with an olive complexion and wore pearl handled pistols, one on each hip. Well, he sounds fancy as hell. He looked like a typical Texas ranger. He would have been perfect in the old west. He fit the description going around in those years about the number of Texas Rangers needed to quell a riot. One riot, one Texas Ranger. Hmm. So, Lone Wolf Gonzalez sounds like a fucking badass. He does. Right. So, on Monday, July 9th, 1956, a worker tearing down the Spring Lake Park School found men's clothing with dark red stains in the attic under a table. Um, the school was located near the scene where Martin's car was found. The clothing was sent to the state laboratory in Austin um, to determine if the stains were human blood. They were, in fact, red paint. So, but here's... (laughs) Officers received a written report claiming that the stains were blood, but it failed to give a blood type. Now, officers were concerned and made a phone call to the Bureau of Investigation of the State Department of Public Safety and were told that, Oh, no, sorry. A mistake was made. The letter should have said that they were not blood. The word not somehow got left out. Oh. They were red paint. So the rumors were, of course, that the blood-stained clothing was hidden by the Phantom, which is a rumor that still stands today. And in 1976, there was a movie made loosely based on the Texarkana Moonlight Murders called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Which is, again, I will use the word loosely based on Texas Ranger Gonzalez's account of the investigations. And Texarkana still shows this movie every Halloween in a park near one of the crime scenes. And in February of 2020, the FBI released their 1,100-page archive of documents on the murders. Which includes um, reports, news clipping... Correspondence among to and from law enforcement, including FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, photographs of evidence, fingerprints, and handprints, maps, diagrams, compilations of leads, and the list of suspects dating from 1946 to 1949. Hmm. And this case has never been solved. That is the story. Of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Very nice. Yeah. So my sources are grunge.com, Cody Copeland, Thought Catalog, Chrissy Stockton, Arcana Gazette, Carl Richter, Texas Monthly, Prudence McIntosh, and every fucking wiki imaginable. Very nice. Words. Yeah? Words. Words. I need to look him up. There
2: were a few in there.
0: There was a lot of them. There's a lot of words. Swampy Graves. Swampy Swoopy Graves. Yeah, so um, there you go. That's it. And I just, you know, I don't obviously necessarily think that they were the same person. And like I said, I mean, possible, but not Mm. probable. Yeah. But I do think that whoever Zodiac was... Took some inspiration from these. Yeah, the bag on the head, the whole thing. I'm like, I mean, I guess is that it. I don't know. Would that be like a common thought? Mm. I mean, a mask, I get it, but like the whole bag thing. I yeah, don't know. who knows? Who knows? We'll never know. Nobody will ever fucking know. Probably not. Yep.
2: Unless they get that DNA from those stamps, that is. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, go join our Patreon because we covered the Zodiac Killer this month. Yeah, do that. That fucking
0: guy. Why can't I type?
2: I don't know. You're having a problem with words today. Saying them, typing them.
0: Fuck. It's because I can't see. Also, what do you
2: have though? Will you get some glasses already, woman? You're gonna <laughs> make it. You're gonna no, make it worse. What the fuck. <laughs> Your eyes are gonna get so bad they're gonna be like, "Lady, we're gonna just give you new eyeballs now." Lone Wolf Gonzalez. I can already tell from here that I love him. Because all I see is a hat. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a big old Texas hat. Mm -hmm. Put that back in my eyeballs. Look look at him when he's old. Oh, he's adorable. I know. I know. Well, how cute. Um, Before I start. Oh, yeah, friend. Yeah. I I mean, he looks like a Texas Ranger. Like. Just. Period. Cowboy.
0: Cowboy. Period. For real. Yep. Uh, Straight up cowboy.
2: Before I start, I posted the video of the hot chip situation. Oh, good. On our Patreon. Oh, good. And so if you want to see how that went down, you saw a couple previews on Instagram. (laughs) If you want to see the whole thing in action, it's on our Patreon. Uh, And Devin commented on the post that uh, I have to say, D's face kills me because it was good. It was good. (laughs) was a good face you were making. Uh, also, somebody just posted this. Uh, it's screenshots from somebody's TikTok. It says, me trying not to think about the tattoo that a girl from my town got. This is their face. They're covering it because it's, it's a bad tattoo. And this is the tattoo. Yeah. <gasps> It is it is very poorly done, just in general, but it's Tinkerbell sitting in front of, par- like oh, her wings are confederate flag. It was hard for me to see that at first, because it's so poorly done. Uh, yeah, her wings are a confederate flag. It's horrifying. And somebody commented, I hate it so, so much. <laughs> wow. Why? That's unnecessary. Choices. Bad ones. Yeah. Bad. Bad choices. choices. Choices were made, and that was yeah. That was it. That was not good. I don't like huh. it.
0: <sighs>
2: anyway, wow. I see. I
1: see a handwritten I, addition here. I
2: had to. I added some more stuff that I
1: looks like you got forgot. a little shorty over there.
2: Well, just a little bit, a little bit. But uh, remember last week's episode when I mentioned that there were a couple premonitions that I was going to save? Yes. For their own full uh, stories? Yes. This is one of them. Yay! The timing is unintentional, by the way, but extremely fitting. Why? Uh, well, the Olympics are going on. So I'm going to tell you all about Olympian Oscar Pistorius and the murder of Riva Steenkamp. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So Oscar Leonard Carl Pistorius was born on November 22nd, 1986 to parents Hank and Sheila in Santon Johannesburg, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pistorius kids were raised Christian and spoke both English and Afrikaans fluently. Uh, he was born with malformed feet and fibular hemimelia, okay. which is the congenital absence of the fibula. Oh. So he just did not have that bone in either leg. Huh. Um, And when he was 11 months old, his parents made the decision to have both of his legs amputated below the knees. Uh, that wouldn't stop him from much of anything, though. He received his first pair of prosthetics when he was about 17 months old, uh, saying his autobiography that he and his siblings, Carl and Amy, had one rule from their parents. My brother, my sister, and I were brought up with one iron rule. No one was allowed to say, I can't. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's good parenting. Right um, when he was six years old, his parents divorced. And when he was 15, his mom died after becoming suddenly ill. Oh, no. Uh, she had initially been diagnosed and treated for hepatitis, but the diagnosis turned out to be wrong. Oh. Uh, Sheila was still feeling sick about a week later and had her friend Jillian Silcock take her to the hospital. Um,. And she would go on to say she'd had a brain hemorrhage at that point, but she didn't go. She didn't let go and go be with her dad in heaven until the boys got there. When her boys walked in, they were able to see her and say goodbye. And she waited because after a short period of time, 15 minutes or so, she went after her sons arrived. Uh And that's what Jillian said in an interview with ENCA.com. Oscar would later cite his mom as his biggest inspiration and would get a tattoo of her birthday and the day she died in Roman numerals on the inside of his arm. Uh, Throughout his early life, Pistorius was involved in a ton of different sports and played on a few of his school's teams. Uh, He wrestled, water skied, biked, hiked, played water polo and tennis, trained regularly at a local gym, and eventually joined the Pretoria Boys High School rugby team. He was, like, fucking active. Yeah. Athlete. Definitely, like, from day one. Uh, in 2003, the 16 year old Pistorius uh, sustained a severe knee injury during a game of rugby, and his doctors recommended that he start running as a part of his rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he began training with coach Ampi Low. Yes. Low? It's L O U W. Low? I don't know. Sure? I'm sorry. I was going to look it up, and then I didn't. That's on me. Um. But after a couple of failed attempts at getting special running prosthetics, he was connected with American Paralympic sprinter and prosthetist Brian Fraser, who was able to get him fitted for fiberglass blades, which eventually earned him the nickname Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Uh, in January of 2004, he broke the Paralympic 100 meter dash record, and that June, he hit a world record for the 200 meter sprint. Uh, He competed in the Paralympics and also in track events against able-bodied competitors, often beating them to the finish line. Uh, While his speed was an incredible feat in any sporting event, some folks claimed that his flex-foot cheetah blades gave him an unfair advantage over other runners. So, in 2008, the International Association of Athletics Federations had Pistorius tested and they deemed his prosthetics to be an advantage over other competitors and banned him from competing in any and all sanctioned events against able-bodied competitors okay they're like yeah you can't do that however the ban didn't last long and the ruling was quickly overturned when the court of arbitration for sport stated that his prosthetics may have given him a bit of an edge but in comparison to his disability as a whole it was kind of a wash especially when he factored in the extra di- uh, extra difficulties he had at the starting block. And on the curves in the track.
1: Okay.
2: So, like, okay, he may be a little faster on the straightaway, but you also have to factor in the fact that he, like, starting. Right. Like, that's at a complete disadvantage to him. Right. And then you've got all these turns, so. Sure.
0: End of the day. Bounces out.
2: End of the day. Yeah. Suck it. Got it. Yeah. So... um. Despite regaining eligibility to compete in sanctioned events, uh, Pistorius wasn't quite fast enough to make South Africa's 2008 Olympics team, but he wasn't too disheartened, saying sprinters usually reach their peak between 26 and 29. I'll be 25 in London, and I'll also have two, three years preparation. Okay. Uh, he'd go on to win three gold medals in that summer's Paralympics. Eventually, he did qualify and was announced as part of the 2012 South African Olympics team, and in the summer of 2012... Uh, made him the first amputee Olympian to compete in track and the first double amputee to compete against able-bodied competitors. Uh, he would advance to the semifinals, but didn't end up qualifying for the finals. Mm. Just a little slow.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he continued to run in the Paralympics, earning more medals, but that's obviously not why we're here. So, despite the media portraying him in a constantly positive and inspirational light, uh, Pistorius could be a pretty scary dude. Uh, 2009, he was seriously injured in a speed boating accident, uh, sustaining pretty nasty head injury. He was airlifted to the hospital and had to have surgery to repair multiple facial bones. Uh, following the accident, empty alcohol bottles were found on the boat, leading some to wonder if Pistorius and his crew had been boating under the influence. Uh, but there was no way to prove it. I think they hit something in the water and just, like, launched everybody mm-hmm. out of the boat. Um. Seven months later, Pistorius was arrested after he slammed a door on a woman at a party, injuring her leg. Uh, The incident would eventually go to court, but was later settled. Uh, According to South African soccer player Mark Batchelor, Pistorius quote-unquote caused a lot of problems and also had a trip switch, a.k.a. a short fuse. Yeah,
0: temper temper.
2: Uh Uh-huh. He's a Scorpio, isn't he? November 22nd? Yeah. Mm. Um. Ooh. Yeah. So
0: uh, he might just be because I think it changes on the twenty first. I'm gonna look ooh, that yeah. up. You do go on.
2: Uh. So Bachelor also shared that Pastorius once had drunkenly threatened to fight him in a phone call. Because he believed his girlfriend was cheating on him with Bachelor. Mm. Uh, And he said that the conversation went a little like this. He said he's not scared. If I want to come down there, he knows where I am and blah, blah, blah. But I left it. Yeah, he's Scorpio. Nailed it.
0: Um, I mean, sounds like one.
2: Yeah. Bachelor also revealed that Pistorius carried a gun on him at all times and that he even applied to become a licensed gun collector. Uh, Because in South Africa at the time, and I don't know if the laws have changed, there was a rule where you could only have four guns, I think, maximum. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to apply to this association, which I think is something similar to maybe the NRA or no, maybe a little different. Because it's like that way, if he were a collect, he had this license, he could have a lot more than four guns. Right. And he was like super into guns. Sure. Which is scary. For someone with a temper like that. Real short fuse. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he wanted to become a licensed gun collector. In January of 2013, the hot-tempered Pistorius was at an outdoor cafe in Johannesburg with some friends and accidentally discharged a gun.
0: So about yeah. that.
2: Yeah, one of his friends was like, oh, it was my gun. I was showing him the gun. He had it and it accidentally went off. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but not great. Um, His friend, boxer Kevin Lorena, said in an interview with Piers Morgan, who is a turd, uh, that was a major mistake, what happened from Oscar's part. It wasn't intentional, and that also could have been a very bad event and something that could have been very tragic. We were all very fortunate that day, and after that event, Oscar was very apologetic. That's how dangerous guns can be, but by no means did I think he was negligent with the gun. Okay. Okay. Like, yeah, accidents happen, but maybe don't whip it out in public at a restaurant. That goes for a lot of things. Uh, yeah.
0: Don't whip out. Don't whip it out in public at a restaurant.
2: No, the only thing you should really whip out at a restaurant is, like, your credit card or cash. Not a gun or your dick. Yeah, please do Or no. your boob. No. Just keep that. All things that can be whipped out. Yeah, don't, don't do it. Nope. So, two months before that incident, Pistorius met 27-year-old paralegal socialite, and model, Reva Steenkamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also on reality TV. Uh, Reva was born in Cape Town on August nineteenth, 1983. Her father, Barry, was a horse trainer, and Reva was an avid rider until an accident in her early 20s. Uh, she broke her back falling off of her horse and had to relearn how to walk. Oh, damn. Yes. Uh, She studied law at the University of Port Elizabeth and graduated with a Bachelor's of Law degree in 2005. In 2011, she applied for the bar exam, hoping to pass before she was 30. So she was giving herself like two years. Um, She started modeling at 14 and appeared in magazines and was the first face of Avon Cosmetics in South Africa. Ooh, Mm Avon. Ding dong. Love it. I still got skin so soft. Uh, She appeared as a television presenter. She was in commercials. And was a contestant on a BBC show called Baking Made Easy in 2012. Uh, That same year, she went to Jamaica and filmed the reality television show Tropica Island of Treasure, but the show wouldn't air until two days after her death. Um, at the time, there was a bit of public outcry from those who believed it was insensitive of the network to air the show so soon after her death, but her parents loved it. Uh, her mother, Jude Steenkamp, shared her thoughts on the matter with Grazia Magazine, saying, She's alive. She's happy. She's swimming with dolphins. Aww. When I watched the first episode where Reva greets everyone and blows kisses, it felt as if she were talking to me. She was saying goodbye.
0: Aww. Yeah.
2: Uh, Reva and Oscar's relationship looked perfect on the outside, but behind closed doors, nothing was idyllic as it seemed. Um, in messages obtained from her phone, Reva told him that she, and this is her text message, felt attacked by the person she deserved protection from. And that she was scared of you sometimes, and how you snap at me, and how you will react to me.
0: Beautiful couple.
2: Yeah. In an interview with Pistorius's ex-girlfriend, Samantha Taylor... Uh, She shared that she was terrified of him during their 18-month relationship. Uh, She went on to say that during their relationship, Pistorius bit her, pinched her, was incredibly jealous, uh, abusive, and he berated her, uh, in addition to mentally abusing her on the regular. Uh, One time, she said that he made her stand on the stairs while he yelled at her. Like, he just screamed abuse at her while he forced her to stand in one place on the stairs. Um. She said that Oscar used to lock me in his house and then go out. I had no food. I couldn't get out. It was dangerous. He often went out saying he'll be just an hour or so and ended up out all day or night. I wouldn't hear from him all night and his phone would be off. He would say he's going out for an hour and the next day, three in the morning, he would drive home. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Like he would just lock her in the house with nothing and disappear.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: Uh, During one incident, he terrified her by driving his Porsche almost 200 miles an hour to quote-unquote punish her for something. She had no idea why. Uh, She explained his horrific temper, saying, He gets so mad, so angry, he can't even speak. He was trying to string words together, spitting, shouting, grabbing. It was horrible. He used to bite me a lot, pinch me in anger and in fun. I had bruises and scars. It was painful." Good lord. One night, while Pastorius was blackout drunk and screaming insults at her, Samantha ran upstairs and hid his gun. Uh, she said, I had to hide his gun. I was so scared of him. When I got to the room, I hid his gun because I really did think he'd use it. I hid it under the bed knowing he wouldn't look there. He kept that gun, the one used on Riva, on his table or by his prosthetic legs on the floor. Jesus. Uh, she also said that she had nightmares ever since learning what her ex had done and said, what happened to Riva Camp could so easily have happened to me. I definitely think that could have been me without a doubt many, many, many times. It could have been me.
0: Yeah.
2: So what happened exactly? On the morning of Valentine's Day 2013, Oscar Pistorius shot a gun into the bathroom of his Pretoria home four times. Reva Steenkamp was locked in the bathroom at the time and was struck by three of the four bullets, which killed her. Um, so, ballistics experts would later share that Riva was standing when she was first shot. Uh, the first shot hit her in the hip, which knocked her back. Uh, she had bruising on her back from bullet fragments from a bullet that had ricocheted and just exploded, basically. Oof. Um, and then she was hit again, this time hitting her hand, and one bullet went into her head. Uh, and they believe that one of the shots, that she, like, had a shot on her arm and then in her hand, uh, because they think she was trying to cover her head, her head. and the bullet went f- through her hand into her head. Um Where did I go? Damn. Um, I remember this happening. Same. Because it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. uh, Pistorius then moved her body downstairs and claimed to have tried uh, to resuscitate her. Uh, And the 9mm he used, Mm -hmm. uh, he used hollow point bullets. Oh, God! Which, uh, and I have the quote here from the Guardian. Uh,
0: Oh, where did it go? No. Hang on. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about guns, but I know that those are like—don't they call them cop killers? Yeah. Uh,
2: so, one of the ballistics exper- experts uh, told the court that the hollow point bullets were designed to cut through organs of a human being. Like those bullets are. Yeah. They have one purpose. Yep. And it is to decimate whatever is they hit. Yeah. Like they mushroom. On impact, basically. Yeah. Uh, shot four times.
0: Ugh.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Pistorius was arrested and charged with premeditated murder soon after. Uh, Mark Batchelor, the soccer player, uh, football player, would go on to say, it's like we were waiting for something like this to happen. Um, his trial began March 3rd, 2014, where he'd eventually claimed that he mistook his girlfriend for a burglar, and that's why he shot her. However. Uh, neighbors testified that they heard the couple screaming at each other, followed by gunshots. Um, and it was also, she had her phone with her in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she So the way that the bathroom is, it's like there's a little toilet stall. Yeah. Separate from other parts. And she had locked herself
0: in the bathroom
2: be. in that toilet stall. Oh, okay. And so I think the stall is facing the door. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Which is how he shot straight in there. Wow. Yeah, but a lot of people are like, and he was like, "Well, she must have gotten up to pee in the middle of the night, and I didn't know. And then I heard something in the bathroom. I thought it was a burglar, so I shot into the bathroom. That's it's not it's not how that,
0: that works. No, no,
2: no. And so people are like, okay, well, if she just got up to pee, why did like, she lock herself in the bathroom if you were asleep? Like, if you were sleeping, why would she lock the door?" Right. And take her phone, right? Like,
0: no. none of this is making no. any sense. She was going to call for help if she needed it. Exactly. Bless her heart.
2: Yeah, and let's not forget the yelling, right? So, uh, yeah. So the May in May of 2014 the trial was placed on hold until Pistorius underwent psychological exams that would establish whether or not his mental health played a role in the killing which would then determine if he could be held criminally responsible for the crime. Uh, Once the tests were through the state prosecutor revealed that Mr. Pistorius did not suffer from a mental illness or or defect that would have uh, rendered him not criminally responsible for the offense charged. So like Yeah, he may have anxiety, but no. no, Like, that's... No. That's that's not... It had nothing to do with this. No. Um, The trial continued, and closing arguments were made in early August. In September, Oscar Pistorius Pistorius was found guilty on one charge of reckless endangerment for discharging the gun at the cafe Mm -hmm. months before. Okay. Um and he was also found guilty of culpable homicide which is basically the same thing as involuntary manslaughter uh huh yeah his buddy kevin lorena said he was a good guy could have fun with his mates but he never was reckless uh or er, but never was he reckless and ever in my company aggressive toward anyone okay buddy that doesn't mean that he wasn't um you were also a dude and he seems to have an issue with the ladies so of course, he wasn't going to be aggressive towards you. Right. Um, unless he thought his girlfriend was hitting on you. Uh, on October 21st, 2014, Pistorius was sentenced to, wait for it, five years in prison. Five years. Maximum, five. Huh. One, two, three, four, five. Five. Five, five years. Five. Maximum.
0: One, two, three, four,
2: five. Five years. Five. 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 Oh, and guess what else? Oh, there's more. Oh, of course there is. Great! Uh, He was scheduled to be released a year later, with the remaining four years to be spent under house arrest due to the fact that he wasn't deemed a danger to society and our favorite horseshit rule, good behavior.
0: That is our favorite horseshit rule, isn't it? Uh, Where is the Pakistani justice?
2: Well, in Pakistan. Uh.
0: Touche, madam.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, South Africa's Justice Minister, Michael Mesthousa, Masutha. Sorry. I tried to add extra letters in there and make it harder on myself. Uh, He blocked Pistorius' release, uh, saying the parole board's decision was premature. However, Pistorius was released in October of 2015. Dumb. Back in November of 2014, prosecutors applied for permission to appeal the original verdict of culpable homicide citing that the lower courts had incorrectly applied the rule of dolus eventualis. Oh, that's fancy. It is very fancy. It is the question of whether or not the accused had foreseen the possibility of death as an outcome of his or her actions. So they were saying the lower courts didn't take that rule into accountability. Okay. So meaning, did he or did he not understand... That somebody could die as a result of firing into the bathroom. That, 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 this, wow. Yeah. That's what got him off. They, well, they said that, that that hadn't been properly applied. So the person, the original judge, and the, I didn't talk about the original judge because she is a fucking mess. Okay. And there was a whole, I could have written a lot just about her in that whole situation. She was oddly lenient. On Oscar Pistorius, and it was—it's like it's, it's super weird. Like, if you want to yeah. look up that part, just go do it. But I was just like, it made me so mad. I didn't want to talk about it. It's just like, yeah, no, this fair. is fucking insane.
0: Like, you are a horrible judge. You should not have and this he's, job. He's very clearly a misogynist with a violent streak and rage issues, violent temper. Yeah. So, how could? anyone think that this woman's death was in any way, shape, or form accidental? Yeah. Or not, you know, yeah, he killed her, but he didn't mean to. Like, it's no. Yeah. No. No! Yeah.
2: So they also said, the prosecutors, and I believe there were five of them, and this was in 2014, uh, they also said the sentencing was shockingly light, inappropriate, and would not have been imposed by any reasonable court. Yeah. Which... Yeah. Fuck. yeah, huh Right? Uh, But I also love how they just kind of threw that into the judge's face. They're like, you are insane. Ma'am. You're absolutely
0: bad at this job. Ma'am. Ma'am.
2: Your Honor.
0: No. Just ma'am. Suck suck it. Your
2: Honor. Big old donkey balls. I beg the court that the judge...
0: Doth suck donkey balls. <laughs> <laughs> she doth suck donkey balls. Gavel, gavel, gavel,
2: ma'am. Ma'am. So, uh, the appeal was finally heard on November third, two thousand fifteen, ending with the decision to overturn the culpa- culpable homicide uh, ruling and instead charge Pistorius with first degree, the first degree murder of Reeva Steenkamp. Okay. Uh, Judge Leach, who presided over the appeal, stated, Although he may have been anxious, it is inconceivable that a rational person could have believed he was entitled to fire at this person with a heavy caliber firearm without taking even that most elementary precaution of firing a warning shot, which the accused said he elected not to fire as he thought the ricochet might harm him. (laughs) So, yeah, he was clearly fucking aware that shooting his gun... Could hurt somebody, but he was mostly concerned that he could hurt himself. He did not give a shit about who was on the other side of the door. And I am 99.99% certain he knew it was Riva. I'm 100% fucking certain. Yeah. You know. So, in July of 2016, he was sentenced to six years in prison. Oh, good. But, and the original judge tried to uphold that, being like, you can appeal all you want, but I'm not changing the six-year sentence. Which is, again... Huh. Willfully hateful, uh, but in November of 2017, the South African Supreme Court of Appeal increased his sentence to 13 years and five months. Okay. <sighs> Better, but still not sure good enough. No. Now about that premonition I mentioned about that, as that's that's the whole reason we're here. So. When Reva Steenkamp was 14 years old, she told her parents she had a premonition that she was going to die. She even painted a picture of it. Uh, Her mother described the painting in an interview, saying, Reva painted these pictures when she was 14. They've been in the house for a long time now, but we never really realized what they were about. Here is a man standing in a field next to a tree, and he is holding a gun. And then on the other side is what could be Reva wearing angel wings, and here is the ladder going up to heaven. And we never really, really understood the painting, but it almost seems like a premonition. And it is. If you look at it, it's a premonition of what happened to her. And she's petrified. She's afraid. She's showing horror, and she's afraid. She's terrified. Her hands are over her mouth, and she's terrified. If you look at it now, it's clear as anything that this is a premonition. Damn. According to her mother, Riva loved the beach, so her ashes were spread over the water at Nelson Mandela Bay. Uh, Oscar Pistorius currently resides in the Adderidgeville Correctional Center and will be eligible p- for parole in 2023. Oh, that's uh, That's soon. real soon. And that is the story of Olympian Oscar Pistorius and the murder of Reva Steenkamp.
0: Damn. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. I
2: remember when that happened, too. I
0: was like, what
2: the fuck is happening? Right? Yeah. And there were a lot of like a lot of comedians did bits about it. Uh, there was something on Family Guy about it, Yeah. which I'm like that looking... yeah, was a big deal. It was a
0: huge it deal. It was a big deal. Um. Yeah. No. So, so bizarre how little time he got for that. Yeah. I, think... I mean, who who said she got up to pee? He did. Right. So if he knew she went to get up and go pee, yeah. In the bathroom yeah. where the fucking toilet is, yeah. how can he turn around and say that there was he thought there was an intruder in his bathroom where the toilet is where his girlfriend literally just got up to go pee? Yeah. That doesn't make any good goddamn sense and he's contradicting himself. Yeah, and there was another article and I and can't I'm not even a fucking lawyer. And
2: I can't remember which it's it's not I can't remember which article it was, but it was one of the officers that arrived on the scene first when he got the call. He was like, I wasn't surprised. To find out that Oscar had killed someone. I wasn't surprised at all. He was actually the officer that arrested him at the cafe. For accidentally discharging that gun. Mm -hmm. And he was like, when I got there, I was like, do you remember me? And he said, yes. And yeah, I was like, holy shit. So everybody really was just waiting for something like that to happen. Nobody was surprised. Says a lot about him. Except to the judge. (laughs) Like right? just it, it was a nightmare. Like and what again, the fucking fuck? That's why I didn't do. Why well, I didn't talk about her? Because she was just like, ma'am, madam. Mm, what? I truly don't understand your reasoning here, right? Because someone is dead. Whether she was in the bathroom to pee, probably not, or was hiding during a fight. Because she was terrified that he was going to kill her. <sighs> She's dead.
0: Jesus Christ.
2: And I don't feel like there's. I don't feel like there was too much doubt.
0: In there. Be like. She's well! fucking beautiful. She was. He, he, I mean. And he's extraordinarily good looking. Like they were. And a ma- fucking yeah. beautiful. Beautiful couple. Mm hmm. And he
2: is a monster.
0: Yeah, in a real pretty package. Yeah, happens. It's just, it was very, very sad. It happens. Very, very
2: sad that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and she would talk about how he scared
0: her, and hmm. yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, fuck, dude. Yeah, that's a, it's a fucked up one. Yeah, it's a really fucked up one. I just, you know, I wish. You know that she had left, but you know it, that is so. It's easy to easy say, to say but when it's... you're with someone like that, because they're so manipulative, and you know how dangerous they are. Yeah, and so the things that she very clearly had to endure and put up with is just fucking horrifying.
2: Yeah, and she so. was she was studying to take the bar. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a lawyer to help people. Yeah, and ugh. He's yeah a fucking well, and I think turd. a lot of
0: people think too that you know you can spot an abusive man or you can uh, spot an abused woman or she's too smart, why would she stay? but it's exactly that it's just there you can't you never know what goes on behind closed doors, yeah exactly you never know I mean
2: the nicest guy could be an absolute a fucking abuser, yeah he could be an absolute monster and behind closed just doors I don't know. Yeah, that's a huge thing everywhere, but, like, all of the, and specifically thinking of, like, in comedy, Mm -hmm. so many abusive dude comedians that just get away with Mm -hmm. it because they're like, well, my friend isn't like that. My friend would never do that. You've got a line of people telling you that they are, and they have, and they do, and they will continue because you're giving them this space.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, you're sleeping with the enemy, literally. Yeah. And, you know, there are women that literally will be whisked away in the middle of the night just for safety. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, I know, and I can't think of, I know that there are groups like that that Mm -hmm. exist where women will literally come and take you out in the middle of the night and... Pack a bag or not, but you know, and they will get you out, and they will hide you, and they will protect you, and mm-hmm. and yeah, I fucking hats off to them. Yeah, more of more of that.
2: That unfortunate. I wish it would just be you know less abusive dick bags, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. sadly, people are terrible, and All I don't. Monsters are human. Think that will stop anytime. Nope. Welcome to the world. <laughs> it is trash. <laughs> <laughs> My sources were CNN.com, Drew Griffin and David Fitzpatrick, Enca.com or ENCA.com, History.com, Mirror.co.uk, Lucy Thornton, uh, TheSun.com, Joseph Gamp, Wikipedia, CBS News, DailyMail.co.uk, Jill Riley and Simon Tomlinson, and then another article by Jill Riley. Britannica.com, Sieg Lindstrom, Biography.com, Tim Ott, The Guardian, Hadley Freeman, uh, and then Staff, and then another article by David Smith from The Guardian, and then ScaryForKids.com, which is where I found the premonition. And the painting is so very creepy. Oh, I bet. Like, there's... Oh, it is... Let me find it. Oh, I bet. It's real. You're like, oh, that's unsettling. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, it's very like like, holy shit! What?
0: Huh? Yeah. Huh? Let's yeah. See. I went through the uh, the FBI stuff that was released for the Phantom mm-hmm. Killer. I mean, they have full handprints, fingerprints, just didn't match any of them, and yet nothing. And yet nothing. Which also says he wasn't already in, you know, the system there. Mm-hmm. Not that there was a system in 1946, but, I mean, they True. took fingerprints, you know. Yeah. They just matched them up the old-fashioned way. Yeah. So, which is a little different. A lot longer process. A lot longer process. I sent them to you. Oh, you sent them to yeah. me. Okay. So, oh. um, My best friend just texted me, guys. <laughs> and me. Um, I'm really going to have to check it right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, uh, oh, I know. Oh, no. Yeah, she was 14 and had a dream so terrifying that she had to paint it.
0: Oh, no. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Yep. Wow. Interesting. Right. Wow. Huh we'll definitely post those absolutely all right but
2: yeah that fuck that guy
0: fuck that guy
2: it's just
0: fuck that guy
2: and so. it's so like it's upsetting for
1: literally many reasons.
2: many reasons but one of them is like god you could have been such an inspiration to so many kids yeah. that have their own disabilities and then you're like <laughs> just kidding I can do whatever I want and I killed my girlfriend, right? But I didn't do it. Just get, eat glass. <laughs> All of it. Lick rust. Do just that too. F- fuck off. Yeah. You dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just fuck, dude. I want to I want to want to hit you in the face with a skateboard. Why? I don't know. It's the first thing I thought of and I think it would feel real good.
0: Kick you in the taint till you die. Yeah, also. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Fuck. well we done done it y'all we done done it we done done it we do you did. work tomorrow did you work today
2: i did not work today i do work tomorrow oh,
0: well, then it's bedtime for z it
2: is bedtime for me bedtime good night time it is bedtime good night time for me
0: yeah to okay go, go well.
2: home and have some of my fancy magical weed drops oh mm, they're new the guy was like uh, you've never had these before, take just the tiniest bit. Because I have a very high tolerance. And the first time I tried this, I took an entire dropper full, and wow, I was. Kicked your ass? Out. Oh, wow. Well. Oh, I was yeah. like, helpful. But yeah, all star small.
0: Huh. Okay, well. Yes, we done done it, y'all. So oh, y'all know the drill rate, review, subscribe. Yes, please. Share, share, share. Especially that,
2: because we would like to go on tour. Yeah, we fucking would love that. So, I mean, if you have any connections or anything or venues that you want us to come to and yep. they'd be open to hosting that, just yep. fucking, you know where to find us. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, uh, thank you to our new patrons. Yay! Thank you, thank you. If you want to see us live in September, mm-hmm. get your ass to the Rose City Comic Con. We will be there we Friday. We will be there. For something,
2: 445,
0: something. I think. Something.
2: We'll let you know. I did, and I already forgot. Same. Mm, It's in my car. Good enough. Which is not helpful to any of you right now. No, it is not. Please, please come see us. Yeah. And do all the things.
0: Yeah. Well, so, till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hats off to the fuck you club. Mm -hmm. Oh, and today. Oh. Today, a very, very heartfelt and a special fuck you to that stupid fucking piece of shit, Oscar Pistorius. Yeah. Did I say his last name right? You did. Because I always want to call him Praetorian because then I think of Gladiator and every time. Yeah. No. I just want to yell Praetorian and I know that's not right.
2: It's not. It's Pistorius. You were right the first time. Yeah, good.
0: And fucking
2: and fuck and- you. And the judge, I didn't talk about. Fuck her too. Fuck her too. Just,
0: ma'am. Fuck off. Go get a fucking different job. You're bad. You're a bad judge. Bad judge. Fuck you. Yes.
1: Fucking fucks. Exactly. Fucking jizz on your pillow.
0: All over it. She might like it. You never know.
1: I'm going to mix it up and paint and cover their freezer. (laughs) Yes. Cummy. Frozen paint freezer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: impressive.
1: <laughs> I like that.
2: It's as impressive as it is disgusting. disgusting. I'm here
0: for it. I'll make it happen, you guys. <laughs> All right, right good. To South Africa. To South Africa we go. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.